0: Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com.
1: This morning we're going to be continuing in Isaiah 17-19. through as we seek to know or knowing the unknowable God through his judgments and as you make your way to Isaiah 17 yesterday I was uh, riding my bike back from Camelsville this way and um, I came down the hill uh, there by Taste Like Home and the whole time down the hill the wind was kind of against me a little bit and I was just like man I'm not going real fast and I wasn't sure exactly what was up and um, I, I would pedal and not a lot of action and so I got like down the hill past Taste Like Home and start back up and I get there about central furniture and I go and think, you know what, I'm going to drop a gear to make it a little bit easier. And when I went to drop the gear, I realized that I'd already dropped the gear and I'd been pedaling down the hill in the easier gear. Therefore, I wasn't going nearly as fast and nearly as far as quickly. And so this morning I share that story with you because at times I'm concerned that maybe our view of God is in the wrong gear that maybe we don't always understand and know who this God is. I know that we love His grace and His mercy. But this morning, I want us to reminder fresh and new to us, and as we look at our country, as we look to the nations, that our God rules and reigns, and that He will bring all things to His intended end. And so this morning, as we look and we turn here, I want to encourage you again to Maybe just check and say, you know what, am I in the right gear? How do I view this God? How do I know and understand who this unknowable God is that desires to reveal Himself primarily through His Son, Jesus Christ, the living Word, and then obviously we have the Word of the Scriptures. So if you would, look with me today in Isaiah 17 as we walk with the Lord in three specific judgments on three different nations. It's interesting that as we come to it this morning, that we've kind of seen this progression of nations. We began with Babylon, and then we moved to the Moabites, and we heard about the Philistines. And today we're going to encounter someone new, God's own people. Part of the judgment that's going to happen here in a moment with Damascus, right, the capital of Syria, um, is not only... Damascus itself but also Israel which is the northern kingdom at this point right Israel proper has split the northern kingdom is known as Israel the southern kingdom is known as who Judah right so you see the separation so there's a judgment that's coming and what's happening is is that God's people have intermingled or found themselves relying upon the world's power and the world's ways rather than the one true living God that may be true for you in your home so let's listen to what happens So judgment number one, Damascus and that of Israel, reminds us this. God's judgment doesn't show favoritism. God's judgment doesn't show favoritism, Isaiah 17. Verse 1 records, the prophet says in Isaiah 17, an oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. It's interesting further, look what happens, the text kind of shares several things about what's going to happen here with Damascus, but look further with me, verse 4 of Isaiah 17, and it says, and in that day the glory of Jacob will be brought low, and the fat of his flesh will grow lean. It's interesting that Jacob has some glory, but the glory they have is connected to their reliance upon Damascus, which will one day cease even to exist, it will become a heap of ruins. The glory that God's people have is not God's glory. And therefore, if it's not God's glory, it's the world's glory. And the world's glory is always temporary. So where's yours? If your glory is not indeed all glory be to Christ, I want you to know that no matter how great and prideful or extravagant your glory may be this morning, if it is not in Christ, I want you and I to remind ourselves today that it is temporary. The glory of Jacob will be brought low. So what's the big deal about, anyway, that what's happened here with Israel? Why are they in such an issue? And I kind of hinted at it earlier, but they've begun to associate or rely upon Damascus, right, in hopes that they will help them against the coming Assyrian army. And so they're looking for someone to deliver them rather than looking to God. I don't know where you look when you need help or you're in desperate times. But the temptation, I get it, guys, is there's it's so hard. How do we rely upon a God whom we can't see? That's why it's faith, beloved. We walk by faith and not by what? Sight. But man, that's so hard when it's your family. That is so hard when it's your finances. That's so hard when it's a situation you're in. But look what God says about them. This is this is this is striking. Jump with me, verse nine here of Isaiah seventeen. In that day, their strong cities will be like the deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops. And then let's fast forward a little bit here to verse ten. Here's what God says about why Israel is in trouble. For, for He says, you have forgotten who, the God of your salvation. You forgot the God of your salvation. You've, as Jesus says there in Revelation one of the churches, return to your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and return. Here it is, God's people. He says, listen, I want you to know, here's the reality. When you rely upon others other than me, it is like you are forgetting me. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know that judgment's going to come. So, what happens when judgment comes? What happens when we forget who our God is? Well, look what he happens here. A transition happens there in verse ten. therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger, he says though you 're making some really good deals with all of these people that you think can help and protect you though you're you're trying to navigate your life on the route that you think is best, apart from god 's word and the glory and the hope that is only in christ that's what he says. Though you make them grow on the day that you plant them, it appears prosperous. And make them blossom in the morning that you sow. He says, it appears, it's just, man, this is absolutely perfect. Look what he says. Yet. Yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. Some of you may be winning at the moment in your decisions. I want to remind you that yet is still to come don't buy into the devil's bread that what you're doing maybe you think it's going to work out all right but God's word is saying that what you're doing is contradictory to his word and the glory of his son and I want you to remember these folks were planning and it seemed that everything was prospering in that moment but there was a yet still to come why because they had forgotten their God right and so he says listen your harvest will flee away in a day I think there's sometimes maybe we're tempted, like we can somehow make deals with God as this God, we might be able to bribe him or, or fool him or deceive him. Like maybe you imagine this, that maybe your life is um, that you're a student, right? And at your school, you don't respect any of your teachers. You badmouth them in the hallways. I mean, you're a bully. You constantly cut others down. You find ways to make fun of people all the time. And then you come the day that you stand before God and say, you know what, God, I, you're right, man. I, I was disrespectful of my teachers. I was constantly bashing them. I was making fun of all kinds of people at school. I was a bully. I was all these things. But, God, you know what? Right there, baby. I wore my bracelet that says John three sixteen. I wore it every day. I was at FCA, God. I don't know if you know, saw that or not. I was in FCA gym class. Other people took their bracelet off, but I didn't, God. As if God's going to be like, whoa, you know what? Since you wore that bracelet, man, you were so awesome to wear that bracelet. You know what? I'm just not going to worry about any of this other stuff. As if somehow we might be able to deceive this God. We might be able to like buy him off or he's going to be like, oh, awesome. You say, well, what's that got to do with me? Some of you may think that way about your church attendance. Like somehow you can like manipulate God that you can live whatever way you want to as long as you come to church on Sunday. And God says, listen guys, by the way that you're living out there, it indicates that you've forgotten me. I'm not, you're not buying me off even though you're claiming to be mine. You've forgotten your God, the God of your salvation. So remember, our God does not show favoritism. We cannot manipulate him even if we are his people. The second judgment comes is in chapter 18. It's one on Cush, and there's some question over exactly who is he speaking about. I think there's definitely some connections to Ethiopia. We're there in northern Africa along the Nile. Um, Present day, probably southern Egypt and the northern Sudan. But look what it reminds us. I think this this is significant, that God's ways are not our ways. This judgment in the midst of Isaiah 18 is a reminder that God's judgment and his ways are not our ways. If you would pick it up, verse one. Ah, oh, land of wearing wings that is beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends ambassadors by the sea and vessels of papyrus on the waters. Go, you swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth. Again, the skin that's being described it lends itself to those folks, but we're not certain. Is this some type of connection to Ethiopia? To a people feared near and far, a, na- a nation mighty and conquering, whose land the rivers divide. All you inhabitants of the world, you who dwell on the earth, when a signal is raised in the mountains, look. When a trumpet is blown here. So look what happens here. He says, listen, there's, there's several things that are happening. So look, look just for a moment, just slow down with me. All you inhabitants of the world. So there's a call to everyone in the world. Look what he says to them. Everyone who dwells on the earth, look. He says, open your eyes. Something's coming. Further, look what else he says to them. When a trumpet is blown, what? Here, right? So he says, listen, I want all the earth, right, to look and hear. This is significant. Look what all he's done, though. He says, go, you swift messengers. So he's called messengers to go and send a message. It's a message that's being sent to a nation that is mighty and conquering. He's now called the entire world to turn on CNN, Fox News, wherever you go for your newscast. He says, listen, everybody listen. There's an urgent message being delivered. Everybody needs to see it. Everyone needs to hear it. Why? Look what he says. For. Why should everyone do this? Because the Lord has spoken. God's got something to say to all of us here. Listen, to what he says. For the Lord said to me, right? And so we have this moment where we're trying to wonder, like, okay, if God's called all the nations, everybody to look. He wants everybody to, to flip on, on your TV or on, on your, your phone. And you need, to, you need to see this. It has gone viral. You need to know what's getting ready to be spoken. Right? We're wondering, okay, there's got to be some type of cataclysmic type judgment that's going to be unleashed. And then this moment, again, that reminds us that God's ways are not what? Our ways. Listen to this. This is, this is striking. Verse 4 of Isaiah 18. For thus the Lord said to me, I will what? Quietly look. Quietly look? And here's the moment. Why does God quietly look? He says, I quietly look from my dwelling like a clear heat and sunshine, like a cloud of dew and the heat of harvest. We're wondering, God, why are you not acting? God, do you not see what all these nations are doing? God, why? I mean, we're asking that today, right? God, why are you allowing this? God, why? Why would you just take a quiet look? Because God's ways are not our ways. Right? I mean, God's ways are not our ways. My assumption is if you had the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that was coming from heaven to earth to be born, you wouldn't allow him to be born in a stable. You would have found some room in the inn. You would have found some room probably in the palace. My assumption is that If you were sending your son, you probably would not have placed him, the King of kings and Lord of lords, in Nazareth. Because as in John chapter 1, we hear Philip and Nathaniel having this discourse about the Son of God. And he says, well, where is he from? He says, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Nazareth? Can anything what? Good come from Nazareth. Why? Because God's ways are not our ways. If you walk to the old rugged cross that you had just sung about, You would have to be conflicted if you were there watching because according to the words of Deuteronomy 21, cursed is anyone who is what? Hung on a tree. How can that be God's son if he is on a tree? Anyone that's on the cross is cursed. Paul says because he was becoming a curse for you. So it's a reminder all through the life of Christ and as we look at the biblical narrative played out from Genesis to Revelation that God's ways are not what? They're not our ways. And here's the dangerous part of that. Is that some of you because there has not yet been a cataclysmic type event that's collided in your life? You think that God seemingly doesn't know or doesn't care about the way that you live. Because maybe you didn't get pregnant the last few times. You think it's okay just to keep hopping back in that bed. For the others of you, you think because the IRS hasn't noticed in the past years that you can just keep kind of writing things off that way and doing it, and they won't notice. For others of you, you've been in those deep gambling debts, and somehow, by the grace of God, you find a way to get yourself back out, but you're definitely wanting to roll some more snake eyes. And that's the deception of these people. It's a judgment has come, and it's a quiet look. And the deception can be so often because since it's a quiet look that God either doesn't see or he doesn't care about your life and what you're doing. But look what you would back just for a moment with the text. It's not the indication at all. Watch this. Verse four. For thus the Lord said to me, I will quietly look for my dwelling like. Look what he's like here. A clear heat in sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest both the clear heat and the dew that may not seem prominent or well-known greatly impact the harvest. God's waiting, beloved, patiently, all the while He is ripening the harvest. And so my caution to you and to myself is, just because we may not see God acting or He has not yet stepped in in that area of sin and disobedience in our lives, doesn't mean that he doesn't know or doesn't care. As Peter says, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. There's a desire for repentance. There's a desire for restoration. But don't buy into that bread or eat from that table that thinks that God is not aware of what's happening in your life. You may have fooled others, but we are not fooling him. Judgment number three with Egypt here in Isaiah 19 reminds us this. That God's judgment is righteous and yet redemptive. Again, as we seek to know this unknowable God, we need to know that He doesn't show favoritism when it comes time to judge. So I can't pull anything over on Him. I need to recognize that this God is a God who His ways are not necessarily my ways. So just because life hasn't turned upside down by the way that I'm living, though it's contrary to His word, doesn't mean that God won't at some point bring judgment and that He's not now noticing And thirdly, as we come to Egypt in Isaiah 19, we are reminded about this unknowable God as we seek to know him through his judgment, is that he is a God who is both righteous and yet redemptive. Look at me, if you would, Isaiah 19. Look at verse 17 just for a moment, then we're going to work our way backwards. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because, right, so why is this happening? Why is this fear coming upon them? Because, he says, because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. He says, listen, this is God's plan. This is God bringing judgment against the people. You say, well, what's God's judgment look like, Blake? If if he was going to judge a nation, how might we recognize that judgment? And you may find some eerie similarities to our nation. Let me just for a moment. Again, in verse 1, it's an oracle concerning Egypt. Look what it says. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them spiritually. God will judge the gods that are not truly gods. Secondly, when God comes to judge a nation, look further with me, jumping in, kind of verse 2 here. Look what happens socially amongst the nation when God brings judgment. And sound how similar this looks to our nation. And I will stir up Egyptians against who? Egyptians! And they will fight each against another and each against his neighbor. City against city and kingdom against kingdom. Does this not look like the Estados and in which you live? The judgment of God was going to come upon Egypt. And socially there would be much discord. Further, look what happens not only spiritually when God judges the nation. Not only socially when He guides, but God judges, but also economically. Look at verse 6 of Isaiah 19. He speaks about the Nile River. Again, the Nile was where their source of income was, economy was, everything depended upon the Nile. It's interesting if you think, well, oh man, didn't God judge the Nile back in the days when the Egyptian people, yeah, absolutely. God was showing them how much greater he was and he was judging their very source of income and life. Look what happens here in verse 6. Again, God brings judgment to the Nile. And its canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will rot away. There will be bare places by the Nile on the brink of the Nile, and all that is sown by the Nile will be parched, will be driven away, and will be no more. Economically, they're collapsing. Further, look what else happens politically to them. The princes of Zone are utterly foolish. Again, there's a judgment upon the rulers of their land. The wisest counselors of Pharaoh will give stupid counsel. The princes, further verse 13, the princes of Zone have become fools. and The princes of Memphis, these are key, key cities, key places there in Egypt, are deluded. Those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger. God is bringing judgment upon them. It is a righteous judgment. But look what else happens. God's judgment is not only righteous, it's also redemptive. Why? Because the question we've been asking throughout the book of Isaiah is this Does God really love his enemies? Does God really care about nations that are opposed to him? Does God really care about you? And that's the question that we get to maybe answer here in the book of, or in the chapter of nineteen of Isaiah, as he begins to tell us a little bit about who this God is. Yes, he is a righteous God, but he also is a God who desires to redeem even his enemies. Give me wood, verse eighteen of Isaiah nineteen. In that day, there will be five. Again, when you hear language of "in that day," right? This is helping clue you in. Something's happening. Something's coming. Right. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance. Look at this. They swear allegiance to who? The Lord of hosts. They swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. Why? This is a culture that is bound up in worshiping false gods. And yet God has the power even to redeem them. Can he not rescue your children? Can he not bring back your spouse? Could he not rescue our nation? That's how great this God is. He is going to a people that are opposed to him, who hate him, who are in opposition to his ways and his rules, who worship all the false gods. And this God is going to redeem them because he is righteous yet also redemptive. Look further at what it says here, 19 and 20. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, He will send them a Savior and Defender and Deliverer. Some of you, listen to me, you live in a family or a situation that worships all kinds of other things other than the one true God, and yet God is going to place you in the midst of that family to be a light, to be a faithful witness. You are not there by accident. God is calling you to be His faithful sign in the midst, to be a witness to the Lord, even in the land of Egypt. God will call you. God will use you. Why? Because look what happens here. Even when the enemies of God, they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, God in His mercy sends them a Savior, Defender, and deliver and we would have to say ultimately that looks unto the one true redeemer christ christ came even for the egyptians he came even for you and for me and in this moment almost of silence as the door kind of creaks open and we hear these words further if you were yet still doubting can god love people like the egyptians can he love people like me listen to this verse 21 and the lord will make himself known to the egyptians and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. That's grace. The Egyptians have done absolutely nothing to earn or deserve God revealing Himself to Him. And here's what I want to compel each of us as we stop and pause just for a moment to allow grace to walk into this story, to see this moment of grace of this holy and perfect God making Himself known to people like the Egyptians, is this, that if God has made Himself known to you and you know the Lord through His Son, Jesus, never, ever get over it. Never get over it. If God, by His great grace, has made Himself known to you, that you are here this morning seeking after His face, that you are desiring something of God this morning, of His Son, Jesus, I want you to know that you cannot ever get over the fact that the Lord has been gracious to you and made Himself known to you. So I want to ask, does your life reflect the fact that you know the Lord? Not simply with your lips, but your life. Look at this. Watch what happens For even those who have worshipped all these false gods, when God makes himself known to them and they truly know the Lord, watch how their lives change. Watch this. In that day, he says, they will worship with sacrifice and offering. There's going to change in their worship, right? They're no longer worshipping false gods. They're worshipping the one true God. And he says, they will make vows to the Lord and they're going to perform them. I just maybe as a moment of application here, have you been faithful to the commitments you've made? Have you been faithful to the commitments you made to your spouse? Have you been faithful to the commitments you made maybe to this church to serve, to be in an area of ministry? Have you been faithful? Have you been faithful to your employer? If you said, hey, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to do this, are you are you honest are you working hard are you true to what you said are you being faithful to you say Blake I'm not sure that fits with what's being said You're, you're right he's speaking about them worshiping him him seeking after the Egyptian people seeking after him but the Bible is clear beloved how can we say that we love a God whom we can't see when we don't love the people that we can see in fact Jesus is clear when he says whatever you do for the least of these you do what you do unto me you do for me So it's clear biblically that the way that we treat others is a reflection of the way that we treat and worship God. So have you been faithful to the vows and the commitments that you have made? Well, this kind of brings us to a place here of, of maybe just asking some questions about as we come to the deacon election, right? What about their lives, right? Not simply what their lips say, but what about the lives of those that we are looking, right? Is there a change in them? As we see a change in the Egyptians... We read the boys this morning, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, that if anyone is in Christ, they have become what? A new creation. Behold, the old is what? Gone, and the new is come. So as we look, right, and come to this moment of reflection and deacon election this morning, let's maybe just ask just a couple things. According to 1 Timothy 3, we get some instruction. First would be look at their behavior. Look what he says, verse 8 of 1 Timothy 3, Deacons likewise must be dignified. Are these men worthy of respect? Second, he says they're not to be double-tongued. So what they say to one person over here, they say the same person over here. Is their yes, yes over here and their no, no? Is it true? Further, he says they're not addicted to much wine, so they're not drunkards. And indeed, we, they have a way of self-control. They live a disciplined life. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. Would you trust them with your money? They're going to be handling the Lord's. Further, not only look at their behavior, examine their beliefs, verse 9 and 10. Again as we think about the Egyptians, there was a life change when they came to know the Lord. There should be a life change in these men as we look. Do they know the Lord by the way they live? Look what he says. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So again, there's not the call for deacons to be able to teach as it is for elders and overseers. earlier there in first Titus three and Titus, or First Timothy three here and Titus one. But there's a clear call that for those that are deacons, they must understand the gospel. There must be not only an understanding of the gospel with their minds, but also with their hearts, hands, and feet. Further, he says to them, not only about their behavior and their beliefs, look at also their family. Look what he says. First, he begins with their wives. Verse 11 of First Timothy 3, their wives likewise must be dignified. Are their wives respectable? Not slanderers. So do their wives cut down others behind the scenes? sober-minded again a self-controlled faithful in all things are they faithful right to their husband to their families are they faithful right now this assumes that the man is married doesn't mean that it can't be right if they're singles that doesn't disqualify singles but it's just saying if they do he's helping identify further further he says to them let deacons each be the husband of one wife if you want more clarity on this we've spent many years past sermons on that um, again let's just look at the text just for a moment though briefly let deacons each be the husband of one wife is the man faithful to his wife has he been further managing their children and their own households well does he doesn't mean his kids are perfect again when thinking about children and their own households we're thinking about children that live within their homes still right is there a management of those do they provide for their families again these are just things that paul is saying as we look to these deacon roles we're looking for them right and so it kind of helps us understand that the desire god was using for his people we're going to see in just a moment was to connect and bring the nations to them in a similar way the deacons are going to serve and equip the body of christ here to help us grow in christ to become more like christ but also to reach this community into the nations And so it's imperative that those who are going to be called to serve in such a significant role that their lives would be ones that reflect the fact that they know the Lord. Not merely just with their lips, but also with their lives. Three things in application as we close. What's interesting, again, about each of the texts, Isaiah 17, 18, and 19, is there's transformation that happens in the midst of this. Look what happens. Number one, there will be a a change in lifestyle. Watch this, Isaiah 17. Isaiah 17. Again, this is the judgment that was on Damascus and Israel. In that day, it says, man will look to his maker and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. He will look. So it says, listen, here's where he's going to look. He's going to look to the Lord. He's going to look to the ultimate looking forward to the cross, to Christ. But also notice not only it's where he looked, it's also where he doesn't look. And that's a reminder, right? When you think about the husband of one wife, just because a man's married doesn't mean that he's a husband, a man of one woman man, right? He may have eyes for every other woman out there. He may have been married for 50 years, but he's not a one-woman man. So be careful, right? There's a lifestyle. Look what it says. So it's not only where they do look, it's also where they don't look. He will, they will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not look on what his own fingers have made, either the ashram or the altars of incense. There's a transformation in the life. Colossians 3 and 2 says, Fix your thoughts on what is above, not on things of the earth. Second, Paul writes the church at Corinth. He says, listen, don't fix your eyes on what is seen, but it's what? What is unseen, right? What's seen is temporary. What's unseen is eternal. Hebrews makes it clear to us, right, that there's a transformation that should be happening as we fix our eyes and thoughts on Jesus, who is not only the beginner, but also the finisher of our faith. Practically, this means that there should be a change in your lifestyle, which may mean some of you need to give up television, Some of you, the tablets that you have are absolutely eating you alive. Maybe toward pornography. Maybe it's just an obsession with social media. But it's consuming your lifestyle. For others, it's maybe the people that you hang with or the fact that the church is just simply somewhere that you occasionally hang out or visit on Sunday mornings. There should be a transformation of your life that you should be committing and investing to a local church. There's a transformation in the lifestyle of the people. Look what happens in Isaiah 18. Again, as we think about the judgment here upon Cush, looking there to the Sudan, northern Africa, there's a change in ownership. Look what happens in Isaiah 18, verse 7. At that time, this is how the text finishes that chapter. Literally, this is the last verse of Isaiah 18. At that time, tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering. This is a mighty nation. This is a conquering nation whose land the rivers divide to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. When God brings his judgment and triumphs over the nations, they're going to bring their greatest treasures to him. And the beauty of what the text is telling us is there's going to be such a transformation that's going to happen in the lives of people that even those who were once God's enemies, they have now been made known to him because of his great grace, because of his son who, who died in their place. There's a transformation of ownership. That the things that you once treasured, you no longer treasure. For some of you, there's a reminder that the things that are your possessions financially aren't really yours. In fact, they're God's, and at the end, they're all going to be His. So I want to know today, if you're already His, then are your finances His? Guys, there's going to be a change of ownership. They Look, it says they're bringing tribute They're bringing of themselves. They're bringing their best to this God who has sacrificed his best for them. Thirdly, now is there a change of lifestyle, a change of ownership? There will be a desire to see the nations come and worship. Look at this as Isaiah 19 closes. Again, this was the judgment on Egypt. Verses 23 through 25 are a great hope. This This is type of evangelistic type text that should compel us, even as we stand here in the New Testament a distance from this. We must see that Christ has brought this about. Look what it says. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. He's looking forward to a day that's coming because of Christ. Look further, verse 24. In that day, Israel will be the third.
0: Hmm.
1: We might hear John the Baptist whispering to us in chapter 3. Verse 30 of John, I must decrease and he must what? Increase. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. A blessing. Beloved, that's the identity of God's people. To be a blessing in the midst of the earth. This is our calling. As a church, we are called to be a blessing in the midst of the earth. We've got to ask the question, and you've got to ask the question, why are you even here at Greensburg? I mean, God could have allowed you to be born anywhere. You could have been any place. Why are you here in Greensburg? And, And maybe further, why are you at this church? Has God not brought you here that you might be a blessing to those who have also gathered here, but not simply to those within the walls, but those outside the walls, to this community? You see, beloved, when we are transformed by the power of Christ, there's a desire to see the nation, see our community come and worship. He says, Whom the Lord of hosts, verse 25 of Isaiah 19, Whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt. This is just a major moment of grace. My people. And Assyria, the work of my hands. And Israel, my inheritance. Is there transformation in your life? God's judgment is righteous, and yet it's redemptive. God's judgment is a reminder that His ways indeed are not our ways. God's judgment further lets us know that He won't show any favoritism. Because even the text finishes by saying that Egypt's my people, Assyria has become my people, and the people of Israel are my people. For God so loved the world, the world, the world, that he gave his one and only son. That if you would believe in him, you might not perish, separated from God forever, but have eternal life. That's God's desire for the world and it's his desire to use you to herald and to share that gospel with your family, this community, and the nations. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray today your word is like a sword, it says. Sharper than a sword. Striking, it says, dividing joint and marrow, soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Father, I pray this morning as your word has gone forth that it has pierced the hearts of those here as you have used your word this week to pierce my own heart. Father, I pray today that they would, all of us, would come and realize our need of mercy and grace that can only be found through your son Jesus. Father, I pray today for those who are continuing to roll the dice because they think that either you don't know or you don't care. Father, let the day's words strike them that you look on quietly. Father, I pray today for the captives to be set free. For the people of Christ to be stirred up to love and good works. And for this community and this nation to be loved by the people that you have drawn and brought here. For the glory of your son, Jesus, I pray this, Lord. Amen.
0: This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today!